Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. For those that are uh, worshiping us for the first time, my name is Jay Vineyard. I'm one of the associate pastors today. And it's my delight to welcome you as we've come to worship. And we've been in this sermon series that we call Flipped, and it's, it's a sermon series where we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount and how uh, Jesus really flips how we are to respond and live out our faith in today's world. And we only have uh, uh, today and then next week that we'll, we'll be in uh, this, this particular scripture uh, study as we uh, get ready for the Miracle of Mercy study. But I want to talk about the culture in which we live. It seems that we have entered into a new reality in in our existence, in our day-to-day life, in that we have to live with harsh criticism and judgmentalism. And it seems that in our culture, criticism is a part of life, every part of life. In fact, people can find reasons to criticize us for any variety of reasons. How you mow your grass, people can criticize. Are your lines straight? Well, that's my pet peeve. Make sure your lines are straight when you mow your grass. How you parent? How you work out your marriage? How you, uh, if, if you are a, a coach in Little League, bless your heart, man. People are criticizing. And so the, the fact of the matter is, is that we by nature are, are critical in condemning people. It's easy for us. And it has reached a point where it has become an endemic in our human situation. You see it in the media. You see it in our social relationships. You see it in our schools. You see it in our, our, our work situations. It seems that we're immersed in it. And we joke about it until we get it. Until that moment that we receive that unloving harsh criticism, and you know what it does to our souls. You know that it's debilitating, it's exhausting when we receive that types of criticism. It's sad. But what's even sadder is when the church of Jesus Christ is filled with people whose habit is to criticize and sit in judgment on other people. There seems to be some people that believe that the ability to criticize is actually a spiritual gift. Now, in the church in the South, we don't just come out and criticize. We put sugar around it. So here's how we do it in the church in the South. When two people are confessing the faults and sins of another person, they say, I'm just going to tell you this because we love them. And you need to pray for this person. And then we throw them under the bus. And then we put the bow on it when we say our favorite phrase, bless his heart. Don't we do that? Well, as we look in Matthew chapter 7, you go ahead and look at Matthew 7, starting in verse 1 as Jesus talks about these attitudes. And we're at a transitional uh, stage in, in our study because in the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the temptations that are all too common for disciples of Christ in our personal life. 
And Jesus talked about the concerns of money, talks about the concerns of worry, and how that hurts our souls. And now he's in this transition where he talks about the temptations that enter into our human relationships. And it seems to be a warning that the thing that will destroy community, the thing that hurts community, is when we step into a judgmental heart. This passage actually sets us well for our Miracle of Mercy series that is coming up. For in our Miracle of Mercy study, we learn that God first shows Himself as a God of mercy. And if in Exodus 34, 6, the Bible says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and in truth. And so it seems to me that the character trait that God wants us to know more about Him is His mercy. And if He wants us to know that about Him, the character trait that He probably needs to build in most of our lives is the, the character trait of mercy. In our study of the miracle of mercy, we're going to talk about forgiving other people. We're going to talk about helping hurt the hurting. We're going to talk about how to deal with difficult people, showing kindness to our enemies, caring for those who are not Christ followers. You see, mercy challenges us to forgive the fallen, but judgmentalism clings to bitterness. Mercy compels us to help the hurting, but judgmentalism moves us to be unresponsive. Judgment, mercy moves us to be patient with difficult people, but judgmentalism makes us hold on to offenses that are given by others. Mercy tells us to be kind to our enemies, but judgmentalism moves us to bitterness and unforgiveness. Mercy tells us to care for those who are not Christ followers, but judgmentalism moves us to indifference. So here we go into Matthew chapter 7. Let's look at verse 1. You ready? Judge not. Okay, put a period on it. And if you're doing it, stop. Let's go eat. Judge not. So um, what is Jesus really saying? Well, that word judge has a couple of, of meanings based on where it is, is found in Scripture. So judge can mean the word judge. It can mean criticize, condemn, avenge. Criticize, condemn, avenge. And you need to know that's God's work. That's not ours. But also it can other places can mean discern or evaluate. And so let me kind of tell you the struggle with this passage is that it's been mis misinterpreted and misapplied by some. And so those that are out, probably outside of, of uh, Christianity, they look at this verse and they would say, you Christians can't judge or evaluate anybody for any reason. And it seems to be what they would say is that we cannot ever exercise any critical judgment and that we have to be, as followers of Christ, totally accepting whatever the situation. But ironically, we really like opinionated people in our culture. Just turn on the radio. How many of you guys listen to talk radio? How about sports radio? Here we got people that make millions of dollars sharing their opinions about somebody or something. And so we, we really like 
people who can articulate and be dogmatic about their positions, whether it be sports, whether it be art, music, politics, whatever, we pay them a lot of money and we listen to them. But when it comes to matters of individual morality, when it comes to those who hold a traditional view of morality, that is the thing that our culture abhors. In truth, what our culture looks for are people like me, people who are professional preachers, who are undiscerning, flabby, indulgent, all-accepting jellyfish that stands for nothing. That's what our culture wants. But we also know, for us, there's, there's a tension here. Uh, you know, we, we say, okay, we're not just supposed to judge, but in other places we realize that we have to be discerning. In fact, as you go on in Matthew 7, 6, it says that, that we're not to put pearls in front of swine. And then in Matthew 7, 15, Jesus says, watch out for the false prophets. And then in 1 John 4, 1, he says, don't believe every spirit. And then in John 7, 24, uh, Jesus says, stop judging by mere appearances, but make a right judgment. So there's, there's a tension here. So what exactly, uh, how are we to take this, this passage, judge not? Well, let's go with a little background. You remember what Jesus is contrasting in the Sermon on the Mount is, is authentic righteousness that's based in a relationship with Him versus pretentious righteousness or self-righteousness that was demonstrated by the religious leaders of the day. And we know with the religious leaders of the day, the only righteous thing about them is that they had a self-righteousness. They had a pretentious righteousness. They had a righteousness of their own making without a relationship with who God was. And so as we think about this, these verses, Tony Evans really helps us understand what Jesus is talking about when he raises the question, how does, does a man get right with God? And we know since the beginning of time, human beings have been seeking a way to appease God. Now, God's answer to the question, how does a man get right with him, is different than what a human or other religions that are not based in Christianity, how they might respond to it. So when God answers the question, how does a man get right with the holy God, his answer is, you have to be as good as me. In other words, you have to be as holy as as I am. Now, any thinking individual realizes that that's an impossible standard of life. We know that, and so we have two choices. Choice number one is to accept God's remedy. And what, what, what that means is that we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, and Christ's righteousness is credited to our account. But most people don't do that. What they want to do, what most people want to do, is establish their own righteousness. And people seek to create their own standard of what is acceptable and unacceptable to God. And they use that standard as the measure by which they judge the legitimacy of their own actions and also the method in which they judge the actions of others. So here were the Pharisees, and they established their own standard of behavior. And they took scripture and they added onto a legalistic, formalistic behavioral standards that had nothing to do with God's intent. But they basically said, this is our standard and we measure everybody else by that standard. And if you don't reach our standard, you're outside of who uh, God designed you to be. It was harsh. It was critical. 
And they believed that their opinion is the absolute standard of life. We can do the same thing. The Pharisees lived to point out the failures and the faults of other people. You have that problem. I do. So, notice what Jesus says. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. Now, who does the judging on you? Well, it's God. But let me get, take you to a, a little practical point of life. Have you ever been around people who are always critical of others? Just always pointing out other people? And then what happens when they mess up? Well, we pile on them. But if you've been around people that are kind, they're merciful, they love people, you know, there, there's a whole lot more tolerance whenever they mess up. Isn't that not true? But when Jesus says, you won't be judged, it's just the opposite of the promises that are found throughout the, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for you will receive mercy. In the Lord's model prayer, Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. The reality is, is that when we truly connect with mercy, when we understand the measure in which God has given us mercy, we ought to be as merciful to other people. Whenever we, whenever we experience God's forgiveness, we learn that we can forgive other people. For whenever we are sitting in our lives and we are giving harsh judgment, condemning attitudes as a pattern of life, here's what we force out, and it's love. Love from our church, love from our church, our Seth. We force out love. See, one of the problems of sitting in judgment is that we think we know everything about a person's story. Some years ago, Jack Perry taught us this class called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in the class, the, the presenter, Stephen Covey, talked about his, his own story when he was he got on a subway some, in some large city, and at the next station, this man got on along with his kids, and the man sat down, and he seemed just to be in his own world, disconnected, not aware of what was going on, and his kids went wild. They were chasing each other on that subway train. They were knocking everybody over, making everybody feel very uncomfortable, and people were looking at dad and thinking, dad, you know, what kind of dad lets his kids act that way? Finally, Stephen Covey looked at the, at the dad and says, Sir, control your kids. And the, and, the, and the dad looked at him and said, I'm sorry. See, we just left the hospital. My wife just died. And I don't know how to respond, and I guess neither do my kids. Isn't that true that in life, we think we see a person, we think we know everything it is about that person's story. Now, how many of you guys, men, because I, I know you women wouldn't do what I'm about to describe, but men, you would. All right? How many of you men have a brother that was close to your age? Like me. I had a brother that's three years older, and I had a brother that's 18, much younger than me. Let me describe what happened sometimes. So, guys, you remember... 
the day whenever you got busted by mama. You did it. Her eyes are bugging out and the hammer's about to fall. You got, you remember those days? And then you remember my brother. I got something on him that's a little bit worse. And you knew that mama has emotional capacity. So if you could get her upset at your brother, you're off. And so you throw your brother under the bus. Now, none of you men did that to your brother, did you? Okay. So here we go. Yeah, mom, I deserve what's about to happen. But did you know what David did the other day? And then she goes, what? You know, gets all up. And she goes on David. And David comes to you and says, man, what are you doing? I said, baby, it's survival of the fittest growing up, man. What are you talking about? Right? Now, here's what happens in the Christian church. If, if I can point out somebody else's stuff that's worse than what I think my stuff is, God sees me in a better light. Right? And so we think, we, we lose sight of, of what our imperfections, what our sin, the serious consequences of that, and we, we throw it off on somebody else. Well, God, look, look at that. Sometimes we think that, that God actually needs our help in pointing out other people's imperfections. So think about what we measure. You'll notice that Jesus goes on, for with the judgment you use, you will be judged. And the, the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and don't notice the log that's in your eye? And so one of the, the prominent characteristics of critical fault-finding person is they focus on things of little importance and trivial matters. Let's go back to what we are judging people on. And in fact, the, the Bible doesn't even mention that this is sinful behavior. You know, sometimes we sit in our church and, and see bizarre forms where people sit in judgment on the clothes that other people wear based, you know, we, we make some kind of value judgment on what people wear. We look at your personalities. We even, we even judge people by the teams that they cheer for. Okay, so those of us who are Auburn fans, we don't get to do this very often, okay? So War Eagle, finally, all right? If you didn't watch the game, well, there you go. But, you know, and, and so we look at some kind of critical judgment that that doesn't meet our prescribed standards of what we expect out of another person. And we see that in church. You know, where, where do you sit in church is a measure of do you love Jesus or not? What kind of translation of the Bible? That's a measure. You know, trivial things. I want you to open your Bibles to uh, Romans 14. Or turn, here's what, how many of you have your phone, uh, Bible on your phone? Okay. This would be a good time for you to look to Romans 14 and change the translation to the message. And I, even if you don't get there, I want you to listen. You know, I think we're going to have it on the screens. Here is, here is Paul's interpretation from the Message Bible of how we're to interact with others. And so I want you to listen to Paul. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. 
Even if it seems that they're strong on opinions, but weak in the faith department, remember that they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might be well convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume that all Christians should be vegetarians and eat accordingly. But since we're both guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Ooh. Or say, one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy and others think that each day is pretty much like the other. There are good reasons either way. So each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. What's important is is all this is that you keep a holy day. Keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it to God, the glory of God and thank God for prime rib. Amen for that. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and give and, and thank God for broccoli. I haven't gotten there yet. None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God that we're answerable to all the way from life to death. Everything in between not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and lived again so that he could be our master across the range of life and death and free us from petty tyrannies with each other. Boy, that would be good to underline. So where does this leave you to criticize a brother? And where does that leave you when you condescend to a sister? I say it leaves you looking pretty silly or worse. Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment facing God your critical and condescending ways are going to improve your, your, aren't going to improve your position there one bit. Read it for the scripture, yourself in the scripture. As I live and breathe, God says, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will tell the honest truth, and I, and only I am God. So tend to your knitting. You got your hands full of just taking care of your own life before. And so, here's what you want to watch out for. And this, this can happen, parents, uh, you, you know, I'm a little bit beyond, you know, kids that are younger. Uh, I guess you guys know 26, 21, and 18. But a fault that can often happen with parents is that you just look at the mistakes of You're always trying to point out where they messed up. It demoralizes the spirit. Parents, I think if I did it again, I'd spend a whole lot more time praising my children for what they did right than what they did wrong. But now we have a a challenge. We, we know that, that in the church that we're imperfect people, right? But we know that we're called to, to a holy standard, a godly standard. How do we 
handle those moments when we know that a brother or sister might be wrong. I think Galatians 6, and you'll notice something else but as you go on, is that Jesus said, you know, deal with the log that's in your own eyes. In other words, what the, the fundamental thing that we have to do is take close examination of our personal lives. And then notice in Galatians 6.1, he says, Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit watching out for your own selves so that you won't be tempted also. And so what, what we are looking for is that in those moments, it's always built on relationships and it's always redemptive. Is that when, when we see somebody that, that, that needs to be restored, that, that needs to maybe be encouraged in an area, we do it with gentleness. We do it with self-examination. We don't go in with the intent to hurt that person. But to encourage. That makes sense. So if we were to sum up this passage. I'm going to ask the band to come up as we prepare to enter a time of personal reflection. So, How do we wind up with this principle? Notice back in Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. This is the law and the prophets. We know this as the golden rule. And so basically, what Jesus is saying is that in all of life ought to be governed with this idea that I, I am seeking the benefit and the encouragement of other people. I don't like to, for people to always judge and criticize. Do you? But we don't. So allow that to be your, your, your governing principle. So let's think. Let's close in a word of prayer. And let's just have a moment of just personal evaluation. If you were to honestly reflect on your journey, What comes out more out of your lips? Words of blessing or words of criticism? In our day-to-day -day interactions, are we criticizing or giving words of grace? Are we as a church a place where people can experience hope, redemption? Or do they fear by coming here be judged and criticized. So for a moment, allow God to penetrate your heart. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword Dogwood to 779-77 or click the Give link online. 
You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and more.